0: Hello and welcome back to another edition of The Alonzo Bet. We're your hosts. I'm Aaron.
1: And I'm Sam.
0: And we are back after a long layoff. Uh, I have to personally apologize for that. I took a much-needed vacation. um, And it's really a shame it happened at the start of the MLB playoffs when uh, we know you guys needed us the most. We weren't there. Uh, We'll never be able to make up for it. But uh, we'll continue to try and repent for our sins Um, as these episodes continue and we go deeper into the MLB playoffs. Uh, And so to make up for all that lost time, Sam, we've got a great episode coming for you tonight. Walk us through what we're going to be talking about.
1: That's right. I mean, pretty much every sports league is in full swing. So we're going to be talking to you guys about what's happening in the NFL, doing a quick whip around that league. Uh, We're then going to be talking about the NBA finals. Just, it seemed like, the Lakers were going to run away with it, but like an incredible win by the the heat in game three. So I'm really excited for this series going forward. And finally, we're going to, we're just going to dive really deep into the MLB playoffs. We're going to review everything that happened for you guys in the wild card round. We're going to review some of uh, the, of the first game one of the ALDS uh, with the Astros A's earlier today. And the Yankees and Rays are on right now while we're recording, we're going to preview the NLDS series and then finally, we're going to give a you know a little tribute to uh, to another MLB great that has unfortunately passed away recently. We talked to you guys about Tom Seaver and Lou Brock a few weeks ago. Unfortunately, uh, maybe the 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 best pitcher in baseball, sort of in the era immediately preceding Tom Seaver, Bob Gibson, unfortunately passed away, and we're going to talk about just how incredible and what what a great career he had. What that. Let's jump into the the NFL whip around, Aaron.
0: All right. Well, what we see here is that we have had some crazy ups and downs in the NFL so far this season. Um, we've seen some surprising teams uh, like the Bills on the positive side. We've seen some surprising teams like the Texans on the negative side. Unfortunately, both teams who started the season either zero um, and four or four and zero, and Right now, just to give us a layout of how things are looking, we do have the Bills leading the East at 4-0. Um, there is an 0-4 team in that league. Uh, they do play very close to where Sam and I are recording this, but we will not discuss them quite yet. I know Sam's got some words reserved for the Jets. Um, in the AFC West, the Chiefs are top of the division at 3-0 and currently lead uh, the New England Patriots 26-10 to as we record this on Monday night. Uh, the Steelers, uh, lead the AFC North at three and zero, but they of course didn't play this week due to a COVID outbreak in the Tennessee Titans camp, uh, which is something that we kind of knew was lurking on the horizon for the NFL. We didn't know when we'd see it. We finally see this first outbreak. Um, but we're going to get to that in detail, uh, just so you guys know, uh, more than, Eight players now. I think the total are uh, 18 positive tests for the Texans or Titans, I'm sorry, over the last six days. So, um, definitely something we're going to keep an eye on. In the North, the Ravens are three and one, and the Browns are three and one. So, we are absolutely stacked there. First division we've seen so far, where we have a bunch of contenders at the top with basically the same record. Um, in the South, the Titans are three and zero, but of course, not playing this week. The Colts are three and one, and they've looked really good. There's another big surprise, in my opinion. Um, and in the NFC, the NFC East, folks, like I didn't even know what to it's, say it's, here. It's, it's embarrassing.
1: Insane. Do you want to talk yeah, about I, it for a sec, Sam? I think the Cowboys are a team to talk about because people thought the Cowboys they were going to be rig of Jason Garrett. They have all these offensive weapons in Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup. They drafted CeeDee Lamb, who's on Aaron's fantasy team. Michael Gallup's on mine. And it, it, it just seemed like this offense was going to be unstoppable. And to a certain extent, it has been. Dak Prescott is throwing for like 400 yards a game. They're putting up a ton of points. Uh, but the defense is like one of the worst defenses I've ever seen. It, 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 it's uh, insane.
0: But it's weird because like, they have good defensive players. And, like, why are they so bad? Jalen Brown in the middle is pretty good, if not great. Demarcus Lawrence is supposed to be amazing. Don Terry Poe is supposed to be very good at defensive tackle. Joe Thomas and Jalen Smith in the middle, like Xavier Woods at free safety. This is a good defense. This is not a bad defense in terms of players but they are lost out there. They have no idea what's going on. They're getting run by just basically every team in the NFL.
1: They just, they just gave up over 300 rushing yards and 49 points to the Cleveland Browns and but the Cleveland Browns. Sam, That's my Stephen A. Smith impression.
0: <laughs> we, we all need more Stephen A. Smith in our life. Um, Dak Prescott, to your point in that game, passed for 502 yards. He was the leading passer in week four so far. Uh, Obviously, um, Matt Ryan and Aaron Rodgers, both guys that can pass for 500 yards, but are statistically unlikely to do so in this particular game. But the next leading passer was Russ, or Tom Brady had 369, Russ had 360. So 140 yards, basically, Dak Prescott outpassed everybody in the league. Um, but they still couldn't find a way to hold the Cleveland Browns under 49 points. They barely kept them under 50. So that division right now, as it stands, the Eagles are one, one, two, and one as they tied yeah. this week. Which, like, and,
1: no, they tied last week. They they pulled week. out a win. They pulled out a win this week over the 49ers, 25-20. Yeah, I don't and, know. And and Carson Wentz, who sort of inexplicably has looked kind of awful this year. Finally had a good game. Uh, The Eagles defense is starting to play really well. And, you know, I still think the Cowboys are the favorite in this division. But if the Eagles can just pull together, have Wentz play like the player. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who was, you know, close to an MVP, you know, a few years ago when they won the Super Bowl. You know, he doesn't have like the wide receiving core is decimated. He doesn't really have the pieces around him. But like I could see him returning to like being a good quarterback and the Eagles putting it together with the defense. Now, Wentz not being not really having pieces around him is what last night spurred me to make a bet. And <laughs> and folks and folks, this this podcast was founded off of a bit of bad luck that Aaron and I Aaron and I had as far as betting goes. That's true. So it only figures that upon making the podcast. Maybe one of the greatest sports gambling runs in human history has has hit one of our speakers. And Aaron's been in Arizona the last couple weeks. You can't gamble on DraftKings there. No. So you guys know know it's not me. You know who I'm talking about. It's me. And and this all starts Thursday night. I throw a little $3 on my man Sam Darnold to score the first touchdown. It has to be rushing. So passing touchdown doesn't count. I I guess it could be receiving, too. Mm Mm-hmm. If you're watching that game, you might have seen Sam Darnold on a third and seven just escape a sack and start running. And basically, the Red Sea just split. All of the Broncos players decided that they didn't want to tackle Sam Darnold. And he ran 56 yards for a touchdown. I'm going, go, go, go. (laughs) That's $120 right there. 40 to one on a $3 bet. So now I'm starting to feel these first TD rushing for for a QB bet. I always like these bets. I make them a lot, but I don't think I've ever hit one. Because they're so long odds. They feel like good odds, but, you know, I haven't made 40 of them yet.
0: Yeah, they are long odds.
1: So I have a $5 free bet. I put it on Carson Wentz to score the first TD of the game, 50 to 1. And to the same point
0: here, when he's saying Carson Wentz has no weapons whatsoever, his wide receiver one this week was Greg Ward. So yeah, who it, is
1: that? It, it, exactly. And this game I actually wasn't watching live. I just sort of was looking on my phone and I see Carson Wentz left end 11 yards touchdown. And I'm I'm like I'm at, I lose my breath for a second. I'm like what is happening? Please don't call it back. Please don't call it back. I see field goal I see extra point kicked. I'm like all right, now it's final. That's $250. Now same night There's an odds boost on DraftKings, like plus 2160, 21.6 to 1, that Jimmy Butler and and Tyler Hero score more points than uh, Anthony Davis and LeBron James combined in Game 3 of the Finals. I put a $5 free bet on that. Jimmy Butler, of course, scores 40 points. Anthony Davis is held to 15. That's another $106 in my pocket.
0: Well, Sam, before you continue, because there's more to this, how are you getting all these $5 free bets?
1: Well, it's it's because, you know, if you want to make money in the sports gambling w- world, you're also going to have to grind the casino promotions on DraftKings. Now
0: we're talking. You, now we're talking. You
1: play, You know, every day they'll have a different game. You play $10 on this slot game, you get a $5 free bet or something. So that's where I'm getting a lot of these free bets. And, you know, while I'm at it, I play the Slingo Dealer No Deal casino game on DraftKings. I make a $2 bet because I need to bet $10 to get this $5 free bet. I hit big in this in this jackpot. I make $100 off those $2. So that's another $100. Just today, I have $10 on Aaron Jones to score the first touchdown at plus 400. Uh, last night, I almost hit another one where if George Kittle had scored one more touchdown, that would have been another hundred eight dollars. I mean, this is just the heater of my life, ladies and gentlemen. And I- I'm sorry for Aaron that he couldn't ride along with me; he had to be out of state. But...
0: I can't believe that I was out for this heater because Sam and I are always talking about bets, and you know, we do place. A- we don't always place the same bets, but we do place a lot of similar bets and overlapping bets. Um, and Sam, but you just know what went off this week
1: now that i think about it you might have just been holding me back
0: that could be the case i could have just been chirping in your ear and just holding you back from the best bets of your life
1: i don't think any of these bets hit if aaron's in on (laughs) me
0: that's true so a common betting strategy is find your worst friend and fade them you everybody has a friend who bets a lot You know, I I got a friend, Deke, who loves to bet. There's nothing I like to do more than fade him because he's going to throw up a bet. It's always going to lose, which means that if I fade him, I'm always going to win. So maybe you need to start fading me. Maybe that's the answer for you.
1: But by fading you, I'm actually going with Deke's picks.
0: (laughs) Oh, wow. Wow. (laughs) But maybe you need to fade my original ideas. I'll fade Deke's original ideas. You fade my original ideas. Somebody's got to win in that circle. Is Deke
1: the fame Snapchat account?
0: Uh, Deke is not the fame Snapchat account, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, that, that's a slightly different one. Um, but wow. So, Sam, that's quite a week. What are you going to do next? You got all this money in your DraftKings account. Clue us simpletons in on how we can get like you.
1: You know what? You got to have good instincts, but you also got to get lucky, lucky folks. These might be marginally good value bets, but if you're going to hit a big bet like that, you just got to get lucky. But you know, I've got some you mean like a 54
0: money. yard rushing touchdown from <laughs> Sam Darnold on a three and seven, where like yeah. six guys could have tackled him and just arbitrarily decided not to. That is that is right.
1: But I will be reinvesting uh, those six hundred dollars uh, thereabouts in a Mets 2020 World Se- 2021 World Series bet.
0: Oh, you're just, you're just getting to drop it straight <laughs> in. Sam, I advise you not to do that, uh, as the pain of them not making the World Series will already be so palpable, you you can't add to it.
1: That, that's that's a fair point.
0: Um. Wow. Okay, so now that we've heard about that, let's finish this roundup, and then let's talk about a couple guys we like. So in the NFC West, the Hawks are 4-0 and look amazing, people. They look very, very good right now. Um, the Rams three and one, my Arizona Cardinals at two and two, as are the Niners in the North, the Packers are three. and zero. Oh, the bears are somehow a disgusting three and one star, like really ugly. Um, and this in the South, the bucks are three and one and the saints have been a bit of a disappointment at two and two. So Sam, out of all of those, uh, we want to get to COVID, but we'll get to it in a second out of all of those teams. Is there one or two that you just might want to hammer down on and talk about what you've seen?
1: Well, I will say that the the Seahawks have been criticized in the past for not know realizing what they have in Russell Wilson, which is the best quarterback in football. I and agree. they and and they've been they, they run too much and they sort of try to play a conservative brand of football when they have a guy who basically can avoid any sack and is maybe the best deep ball thrower in the game. Yeah. Uh you know, maybe you could argue Mahomes, of course. And they are doing this year what they have failed to do in the past, and that's let Russ cook. And he and is cooking right now. I, I believe there was even a, a drive where the headsets went out in the game on Sunday, and, and Russ just called the whole drive and scored a touchdown. Like, I if you have Russell Wilson, it's like, It's getting, like, he's at the level that, like, I feel like Rodgers, Manning, Brady were when they were at their peak. Like, I feel like he's that good.
0: I mean, he's completing 75% of his passes. He has a touchdown rate approaching 12% right now. He's thrown 16 tutties to only two picks. I mean, he is just on one right now. Um, And, you know, he's obviously not taking sacks. He's picking up yards on the ground still. He is, he's doing something incredible right now. And he's being helped by two guys who I don't want to say are like overlooked necessarily, but Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf are playing great, really helping him right now. They're blocking well, they're running good routes. And these are two guys who never. You know, Lockett never has been in the league for a while. Has never been considered an elite receiver and probably isn't, but is playing like one right now. No, I, and Metcalf- I,
1: I, I just, I disagree with your with your statement that he isn't. I think he is an elite receiver and has never been appreciated as such.
0: Well, there you go. I mean, I could definitely see that argument. I think he's he, he might be a bit fringy. Um, Garrett Cole just pumped in a hundred mile an hour heater past the Andy Diaz. Um, but he is very, very good DK Metcalf a guy that kind of fell in the draft, despite the fact that everybody at the combine said he was like one of the most incredible physical human beings they've ever seen. He jumped the highest. He was the strongest. He ran the fastest, but people just kind of like, didn't believe that he was going to be a good receiver for whatever reason. Um, or thought the floor was too low, but he kind of dropped to them in the draft and he was good last year. He's been even better this year
1: so far. Yeah. He's, he's looked really good. Uh, so yeah, that the Seahawks I think are are the class of the NFC right now. And you know, outside the Chiefs who are the defending Super Bowl champion, I expect them to probably get there again. The other class of the AFC right now is is not necessarily the Ravens who who lost sort of a stinker to the Chiefs, but it's the Buffalo Bills. And a guy who at the beginning of the season I would have told you was trash is probably number two in the MVP race to Russell Wilson, and that's Josh Allen, yeah. who has looked like a revelation. Yeah, and it pains me to say it because like Josh Allen and Sam Darnold are always getting compared to each other. They come out of the same draft, and like a lot of people were making fun of the Bills for picking Josh Allen, like this guy who completed less than sixty percent of his passes in like not even the top level of Division One college football but the bills sort of saw the like insane raw physical tools and thought they could mold him into the player they want and, and give credit to this organization for building an offensive strategy around Josh Allen's strengths and really like developing a project. Like he was a huge project. He had terrible accuracy problems, like the first two seasons of his career and he's playing like an MVP right now. And I, like I still almost can't believe it, but you watch the games and he's he's making all the right reads, he's making all the throws. I mean, you watch the games and this receiving core is insane. I mean, Stefan Diggs, John Brown, uh, Cole Beasley—they're uh, all wide open all the time. Like he, like the like the Bills' offensive coordinator Brian DeBole is—he's going to be a head coach soon because the things he's scheming are insane. And of course the bills also have like one of the top two or three defenses in the league. So this team's the real deal. I agree 100%. And I've seen like Josh Allen last year
0: could obviously run and throw, but he wasn't accurate. He made bad decisions when he was passing and he was careless with the football. He ran into a lot of hard contact. So he, was, he has so many turnovers in his career already that there was just this big question about um, is he really an NFL-caliber quarterback or is he just a guy with a ton of great tools? Um, obviously, the Bills saw something in him. He put it together uh, this season so far. And we're looking at a guy who I agree with you, Sam right now would be the number one or number two guy in MVP voting behind Russ. Last year, he had nine interceptions. The year before he had 12 interceptions Um, last year. He had, let's see how many fumbles last year. He had 14 fumbles, Sam. The year before he had eight fumbles, this guy's giving the ball. He's almost giving the ball away twice a game in his career before this season. And so far this season, He's only given up the ball in the air once. He has one interception.
1: He's still got a bit of a fumbling problem so far.
0: Well, yeah, he has two. He has three fumbles already. So
1: I think he's also coughed it up a few more times and got in the recovery. Like
0: he's still he's still running into contact, you think?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well,
0: I think that's if there's going to be an area of his game that he needs to improve to reach this level we're talking about, that's what it is. Because you just, as a quarterback, cannot give up the ball that many times. And
1: and, and, and a and a good example for him and how to do this correctly is Russ. In Russ's, he runs a lot, but he knows he always knows when to get out of bounds and get down, and he doesn't take the hits.
0: Yeah, and to your point, Sam, um, in the in Russ's career. You know, he has 79 fumbles, but that's over like eight seasons at this point. Um, you know, yeah. he's always sticking in those lower numbers. So um, the Bills are extremely interesting. Do you think they can win that division?
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, especially with the Patriots about to fall to two and two today. Yeah. So that's true. I and mean, they've already got a, a, a two game. Uh, the Patriots have had a tough schedule so far, though. Um,
0: they have, and that actually they've played the team that I kind of want to talk about, which is the Saints. And the Saints right now are two and two. Um, a lot of people are worried about them, I think, um, because what you see is you—they beat the Bucks in Week One, but they didn't look particularly good. The Bucks just looked particularly bad in that game. Um, they hadn't put it together yet. Tom was all over the place. No one caught the ball. No, they didn't even run the ball with Fournette like once. Um, so the saints win that game, but it doesn't strike anybody with any hope. Then just that terrible, terrible loss to the Raiders in week two, um, that was on Monday night football. And that was brutal. The Raiders just ran them out of the house and the Raiders really have not uh, been a team to be concerned with honestly. Um, they they've
1: looked pretty good this year though
0: well have they though like you know they I, I guess losing to Buffalo is not the worst thing in the world um, but I'm pretty sure they're two and two at this point and their only win was against the Panthers and the Saints team um, that I'm talking about right now so they barely edge out the Panthers at the beginning of the season and then they beat the Saints in that game where they did look good I agree with you but the Saints also just blew it um, and then two straight losses now to the Pats and the bills, which are tough competitions, but then you got the chiefs up next. Who's not going to do them any favors. Um, and then the bucks. So, you know, maybe it's a tough luck with schedule, but they could be staring down the barrel of two and four real quick.
1: Yeah, that's true. Uh, but you know, I, they played the chi- the bills really pretty close for most of the game. It got out of hand at the mm-hmm. end. Uh, but so let's move to one of the teams that's been the most disappointing team in football. And that's the Texans who had Deshaun Watson, really one of the, the best quarterbacks in the league, but they are now Owen four. And it was the last straw for Bill O'Brien, the coach and GM who, you know, there were definitely been complaints over the years of him as a coach, but he's won, you know, the AFC North the last three years, uh, But as a GM, he's just – what on earth was this man doing, you know, trading away all of their first-round picks, then turning around and trading away DeAndre Hopkins and only getting a Mm third-round pick in return? Like, he basically just took away all of the the Texans' assets and then traded away their best player. And I don't really understand it, Sam, because, like, he has been the
0: Texans' coach for seven years now. He's basically 500. Um, but the way it looks is three straight seasons of nine and seven, then a four and 12 season, uh, in 2017, they end up getting Deshaun Watson and they're looking good. 11 and five, 10 and six, you know, they're, they're becoming this, I wouldn't call them a powerhouse, but they're becoming this perennial, um, playoff team. And so they go and trade away their best receiver for uh you know, an aging and arguably not good anymore running back and a couple of picks. Like I don't understand how you can blow it all up there, even though they've had two tough luck losses in the playoffs in the last two years, I think it was the wrong move. And then Bill O'Brien eats the cake uh, by going on four and then he gets canned.
1: Yeah. And you know, what? I can't blame the, blame the Texans. I mean, as a coach, he was bad, but not terrible. As a GM, he was maybe the worst in the league, and they were an absolute joke having him run their franchise. Yeah. So the timing is maybe a bit weird, but I think it's the right move for that for that organization. Now, uh, another team who's also 0-4 and, and is taking the opposite approach and keeping a lame duck head coach who might be one of the worst, coaches I've ever watched coach in the NFL as their coach. And that's Adam gaze. And this man who's billed as an offensive genius, because he was the offensive coordinator for pagan Manning, who called his own plays has now spent a couple years convincing us. He was maybe okay in Miami because he did well when Ryan Tannehill was the quarterback, but the offense still wasn't that good. It was it was bottom 10 in the league. And then Ryan Tannehill, you know, finally being free of Adam Gaze basically becomes the best quarterback in the NFL last year for the Titans. Uh, And now he's come to New York and decided to ruin another QB prospect in Sam Darnold, who I still truly believe has the talent to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. He has the ability to make a certain level of throws in sort of off-book situations that only a few guys have. But he, at this point... I think he's been totally ruined by the dysfunctional coach that Adam Gaze is because he's missing easy reads. Like he's just passing up easy completions for first downs. Uh, And like, how is that the coach's fault? Because there's been like, there's, there's been no sense in the play calling. Like, and he's always felt he's, through the last year he's developed the need to basically create all the offense for the jets themselves. Cause they're never scheming easy throws. For him. Yeah. Every other coach, every other coach in the NFL, you know, runs motion. They try to make things easy on their quarterback. Sam Donalds had to do it all himself for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. So I think now his instinct is I'm going to let the play break down and try to do something amazing. Cause that's the only way we get offense. And because of that, he's not trusting his first read because that's failed him when his coach has not provided good first reads for him his entire career. And now the offensive line is, is holding up better than it did last year, but he's not trusting that. And you know, Sam Donald's been a bad quarterback this year. That's not to say that Adam Gaze has done anything right he uses the least motion of any quarterback in the league. I think of any coach in the league. I think he's run motion on like one play this season.
0: Wait, Just that staple. can't
1: be right. It it it's basically true. This the staple of a modern off NFL offense is running motion, getting the defense moving so you can catch them off balance. Trying to find the defensive scheme through this motion, he doesn't use it. He runs more on second and long than any other co- than any other. Uh, coach in the league this is just slam dunk the worst thing you can do on second and long running on second and long is like the worst play call there is as, as far as offensive efficiency goes he does it more than any other uh, coach in the league this team is now 32nd in offense and 31st in offense in back-to-back years yeah they've had injuries i don't want to fucking hear about it other teams have injuries and they they don't just say okay we gave up they try to scheme things around the strength of the players that are playing. Adam Gaze doesn't do that. And at this point, he must just be an insane narcissistic egomaniac that he's completely unwilling to admit my strategy's not working. Let me look at what some other coaches who are succeeding are doing and try to take some things from that. Mm-hmm. He won't do that. But the Jets, Christopher Johnson's too embarrassed to move on to him from him. They have some sense that firing him now would stunt Sam Darnold's development, as you could, as if you could possibly do that anymore. Um, but you know what? The Jets could be headed for the number one pick, and as much as it pains me to say it, because I I've been a Sam Darnold believer from day one, and I think this organization is done terribly by him. I think if they get the number one pick, they have to take Trevor Lawrence.
0: But then, what and, if Adam Gase stays and ruins Trevor Lawrence? I,
1: he's not. He, he's not going to stay he'll be fired after the season
0: on the flip side of our our teams I have a Cardinals team who I'm feeling pretty good about you know we're sitting at two and two and the division's tough no doubt uh with the Seahawks looking like runaway favorites and the Rams looking okay so far but I'm looking at the Cardinals and I'm seeing a team who lost a really tough luck loss in Carolina this week despite it being 10 points and an even tougher luck loss last week against the um lions and so those are two pretty bad teams that they're losing to but they're winning against good teams so what i'm seeing is a team that is kind of playing up to its competition and in the end that's a good sign for a young team because you can help motivate a young team to stay on point against bad uh bad opponents but what you can't do is artificially improve a team's performance against good opponents on a regular basis so my feeling is that the cliff kingsbury um who by the way i was not a fan of the hiring but the cliff kingsbury um kyler murray combination is looking pretty good it's a dynamic offense right now the defense is young they're good, but they're young um, and they're getting better. I think this is a team that could potentially sneak into a wild card spot, especially when you think about just how bad the NFC East is. So the NFC East is normally taking one of those spots or frequently taking one of those spots, I would say. Um, but now you're really just competing with the likes of the Vikings, uh, or the Falcons, who are at an zero three start and have a tough draw against uh, Green Bay, that's already down by ten. In it's definitely a possibility. And so the idea that I could see the Cardinals in the playoffs this year is cool because it's been a couple of years since they've even been a contender. So
1: we'll be keeping our yeah. eye on that. And three wild card spots this year. Don't forget.
0: Oh, I already had forgotten. That's that makes it even yeah. more likely. Then they basically, you know, it's Niners, Vikings, Cowboy, or. No, Cowboys and Eagles are both getting in. Uh, yeah, we'll see.
1: Rams, Bucks, you know, there, there are some teams, but they definitely have a chance. They definitely. Uh, well, no,
0: because the Bucks are going to win. The Bucks and the Saints are going to finish one and two, and one and two get in, right?
1: No, I mean, it's all the division winners get in, and then the next three records.
0: Oh, I see. I thought it was the top two in each division in the NFL.
1: No, because it's, it's normally, it used to be six, so four. Division winners and two wild cards. Oh, there now, you so.
0: go. Okay, okay. Um, the road's tougher, but it's a possibility. Um, and you know, we'll have to see what happens.
1: Yeah, with that. So that that was a lot on the NFL. So with that, let's uh, let's jump into the NBA Finals. And what we have right now is the Lakers winning the first two games. The Heat lost uh, two of their most important players in Bam Adebayo, who's a defensive. Star uh, and a big piece of their offense, but he really was the crux of their defense. And given how big the Lakers were, like just really important for protecting the Rim and Gr- Goran Dragic, who an ex an ex dear player to Aaron as a as a, son, a longtime yep, and son,
0: vastly underrated.
1: Yeah, had been the Heat's leading scorer of the playoffs so far. Like a really important piece. And his shot creation had just been really great this entire playoffs, really important to this team.
0: I mean, Sam, you're talking about in terms of how they played in the Eastern Conference Finals, those guys are number two and three in minutes played behind Jimmy Butler. They lost basically all of Jimmy's complementary pieces.
1: Yeah, exactly. And this was in game one and the Heat were blown out in game one by the Lakers. And I think a lot of people sort of, declared the series is over uh
0: i mean i i still declare the series is over
1: yeah i still think the lakers are probably gonna win why is green
0: bay giving the ball to jamal williams sam
1: (laughs) that that i i don't have aaron jones on my fantasy team this year and a big reason for that is how much i hate green bay giving the ball to jamal williams he was on my team last year and it would give me
0: oh my god it's the most frustrating thing uh but tim i still think the series is over they beat the Heat by 18 points in game one, but it really wasn't that close. Those Most of those were garbage time minutes. They beat the Heat by 10 points in game two. They lose by 10 points in game three. But in game three, you have a shutout, basically, of AD and LeBron, and I don't really think you're going to see that again.
1: Yeah, and, and Jimmy Butler had a game for the ages with a 40-point triple-double, and... It, it was insanely impressive to watch Jimmy in this game because he he, ba- he, ba- and he basically did it all just getting to the basket. He didn't take a single three all game, I don't think. But he got to the line. He got to the basket. Played great D. Facilitated the offense. Was passing great. An incredible game by Kelly O'Lynn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's been a godsend for the Heat in the last two games with Bam out. Uh, but yes, you know, if Bam and, and Drogic stay out, it's very hard to see how the Heat are going to pull this series out. But they're just an impressive team. They play great team defense. The offense is great. They don't make many mistakes. Tyler Hero is very good. Um, Duncan Robinson actually hasn't even shot the ball that well. After being like an almost fifty percent three point shooter in during the season, and Bam and Dragic are not definitely out for the rest of the season. In fact, Bam has now been upgraded to questionable for Game Four. Well, Bam could come back. I do
0: not think Dragic can come back this series.
1: Yeah, I think it's a question of whether or not he can play through the pain. Um, I think that's a lot of
0: pain. He tore a tendon in his foot.
1: Yeah, I think he wants that up. Yeah, he wants he he wants to play so badly. I mean, these these guys dream of making the NBA finals. It must be so devastating to to finally get there and and get injured, but I think it'll be hard for Dragic to play. I think bam, especially if this series gets extended, mm-hmm. will will be bad. I would agree with point. that. Yeah, but I think, you know, it's it's uh, game 3 was just awesome to watch and I still think you're right. that The Lakers going to pull this out, but like, boy, do I love this heat team? Yeah. They're so,
0: they're cool. They're definitely fun to watch. Um, we'll have to see what's going on, but let's just give a quick shout out to LeBron again, who at age 35 is almost averaging a triple double in this series. Um, and I mean, this guy's incredible. What, what can you even say about him? He's still doing it after all these years at age 35. He's found a way now to kind of seed primary scorer, which is something that you can argue he might've done on the first, his first year on the heat, but he's never really fully done it until now. He's really letting AD um, score the bulk of the baskets. And, Um, he's better for it, honestly. Well, actually, sorry, I take that back. He's actually scoring 0.7 more points per game than AD. AD was just the leading scorer um, in game one by a large margin, but he came back and was game two. So, um, he's scoring pretty evenly with him, but you can't stop this guy. And the question is, how long will he dominate? We have seen a LeBron finals every year since what? Like 2008 now or something?
1: Since 2011, like except except last year, of course. except last year, obviously, but still, that's uh, just crazy. Also, shout out to Iguodala, who's now made six straight finals after five with the Warriors and now one with the Heat. Yeah, that
0: guy, that guy has an enviable career. He's just been a boss wherever he's playing.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I, I'm really excited for this for Game Four of this series. If the Heat can somehow even this thing up. Oh boy, is it going to be a fun last three games? Watch, like, watch heat team basketball versus seeing if if LeBron gets this fourth one. Boy, does that goat debate get like? That's what we say every every time.
0: Every time he wins, we're like, oh, if he gets this third one, like that goat debate gets serious. Like he just is the goat.
1: I you know I tend to agree, but then again, you know neither of us were really conscious fans during jorgens well yeah i
0: mean neither of us were conscious human beings when he was when he was still really good at the beginning of his bulls career um yeah but but yeah i i i don't know i think the numbers speak for themselves championships definitely mean quite a lot but defining you as the best basketball player ever is not strictly your drive to win Um, which I think, you know, MJ's is probably better than LeBron's, even though LeBron's is extremely good. Um, And LeBron's just been a better basketball player throughout his career. I just don't think you can really argue that. Um, But with with that said, this is a very fun series to watch. I don't think we're going to get any more than two games on it, but we're just going to have to see what happens. We'll definitely be back to you next time um with either the results of the series or an update on where we stand now um but we have to get into some baseball sam that's what we're all about here and we are finally into the playoffs we buried the lead here we are in the mle playoffs we are through one round of this ridiculous disgusting 16 team just debacle let's call it um but boy am i having fun watching these series sam
1: yeah, and as, as much as I hate this fucking sixteen team playoff, as, as stupid as I think it is, boy was it fun when there were like eight baseball playoff games in mm-hmm, one day. Mm-hmm.
0: Just like that was awesome. Serious playoff baseball.
1: That that was awesome. Just watching baseball playoff baseball all day, and like and like with these best of three series, like every game was just so important.
0: Every pitch is so important from the first inning. You feel this tenseness, like this next pitch could end up deciding the series could end up deciding a game. So with that, let's check our results Um, in the national league. We had the Braves just go ahead and sweep them reds. And guys, this was, um, this was a good series. I guess the first game was one nothing in third, innings which yeah that's pretty and I felt
1: I felt so bad for um for Trevor Bauer who went eight scoreless with 12 strikeouts in this game yeah and and Bauer you know it's still up in the air but I think he will probably end up winning the Cy Young
0: if Uh, if he does your boy makes a decent chunk of change
1: that'll be nice that'll be a, a big And I don't know why I didn't make that bet too. Um, Um, But yeah, I mean, this game was really
0: a cracker and you do have to hand it to um, mostly the Braves bullpen, to be honest with you, because um, Max Freed here was able to, you know, pitch a pretty decent game. He went seven innings, he gave up six hits, no earned runs, but then the Braves rolled out this like just unbelievable rotation of pitchers and a great job too by Snit. They rolled out Chris Martin for an inning, Mark Melanson for an inning, Will Smith for an inning and a third, Darren O'Day for just one batter in a tight spot, Um, Tyler Matzik for an inning and a third, Shane Green for one batter, and then A.J. Minter to get the win, Uh, whereas the Reds just weren't able to recreate that same magic. Um, Bauer, of course, amazing, seven and two-thirds, two-hit, no-walk baseball. But Rasul Iglesias comes in, and he's kind of sketchy over an inning and a third, although he Ks all four batters. Uh, But it took him a lot of pitches. Um, Lucas Sims comes in for an inning, and it's not not so safe. Michael Lorenzen pitches two great innings. He actually is a superstar in this game. He pitched two beautiful innings. But then, you hate to see it, the Arizona transplant. Archie Bradley comes in to lose this game in the 13th inning. Um, But then the next game, the Braves just kind of took it. Um, you know, it was scoreless through four. Bottom of the fifth, Braves Eke one across, remain scoreless until the eighth, and then something just happened. You know, in the eighth inning, Rysel Iglesias comes on, um, and after a, just a one and two thirds amazing innings by Lucas Sims, but Rysel Iglesias comes on and gets out of that inning. Cannot get an out in the next inning. Two hits, uh, three earned runs, four runs on an air too, which you hate to see. Walks two guys though, and two leave the yard. So uh, something just broke down. And of course, Reza Iglesias has been um, susceptible to that over his career. He's got a great uh, body of work, but um, he's definitely been susceptible to blowups. And so you see the Reds take an early exit. Honestly, they were not the better team here. So I'm not too distraught by it, although they were kind of fun to watch. Um, The game that really distressed me or the series that really distressed me, Sam, and made me upset about this playoff structure is the Marlins Cubs, because sure, the Cubs weren't the best team in the world, but they were a hell of a lot better than the Marlins this season and the Marlins sweep the series game one, a five nothing win Cubs, of course, in game one are throwing Kyle Hendricks. And he goes six, he cruises through six innings, absolute cruise fest through six innings. And then he walks two guys. I mean, that's not the Kyle Hendricks we know. Something goes on. He gives up three. Well, he seeds the inning to Jeremy Jeffress, who gives his runs up and proceeds to give two more up. So the Marlins hang a five spot. And I hated this, Sam. I thought David Ross in that inning basically gave up when Jeffress was in a jam after one batter or after two batters, I'm sorry, he should have just pulled it. There's no reason for Jeffress to stay in and give up that bomb, um, to the second batter. And I just thought after, you know, Hendricks struggled, I didn't understand why they weren't doing everything they could to keep themselves in a three, one ball game 2 one ball game at one point. Um, So they lose that game, and then they miscalculate, obviously, because they didn't give it everything there. And the Cubs get shut out in the second game. They score one run in 18 innings across this series. They're shut out in the second game by Sixto Sanchez for five innings, which Sixto's been great. You know, Sandy Alcantara was great the day before. What you have to fault the Cubs for is not getting to Brad Boxberger or Richard Bleer or Yimi Garcia. I can't fault him for Brandon Kinsler, who I think is a, a very good reliever, but they faced, you know, they didn't score any runs on Richard or Yimmy Garcia, who threw four innings between them. I mean, what are you, what are you doing there? Um, so I'm, this just exposes the fraudulency of this playoff setup because we now have the Marlins going to the NLDS and they're, you know, they're gonna play the Braves, so they're probably gonna lose, but they're not playing the Dodgers. They could definitely sneak through here and could play in the
1: NLCS. And then and, who knows? Who knows? Their pitching's hot. Who knows? And and that's the point. It's that the baseball playoffs is already sort of a highly randomized thing. The best team does not win all the time. In fact, they usually don't win. And that's why it's just such a joke to have teams like the Marlins in this, because as you said, there's probably like a thirty or forty percent chance that they end up in the NLCS. And like, I just don't want to fucking watch the Marlins in the NLCS. Like, no, I want. I want to watch like, six,
0: though, but I don't want to watch any other yeah. player on their team. Really,
1: it's just like, it's just stupid. It's a joke, and it just makes it a, a joke, and it, it, it makes me. Like, I'm, I'm trying to make the best of it. Like, I still enjoy watching the games and stuff. Like, it's not like I don't like it, but it just makes me, like, less excited about, like, the prospect of, like, someone winning the World Series because yeah. it just seems dumb.
0: I, I, uh, I agree with you. Um, So we'll have to see what happens in that series. We'll preview it a bit um, in, in a bit. But in the National League, the other two were the Dodgers who swept the Cubs. And honestly...
1: The Brewers. Brewers.
0: Oh, sorry, the Dodgers swept the Brewers. And honestly, the games were close, but the Dodgers just looked like a juggernaut. You know, they kind of took care of business when they had to. They scored early in the first and tacked on an insurance run in the seventh, um, you know, to beat the Brewers in game one. And then in game two, it's just an absolute shutout and brilliant pitching by Clayton Kershaw, who says, once again, to everybody who doubts him in the playoffs, shut the fuck up. Goes eight innings. Yeah, eight innings, three hits, one walk, 13 Ks. I mean, and then Bruce Dark. (laughs) Pru Gratterall, who the twins are looking at with so many bullpen implosions in the AL wild card, and he comes on and sure he gives up a hit, but uh, he gets the save in Game Two in a two-run game. I mean, or a three-run game at that point. That's that's just that's gotta hurt him um, because they would have liked someone to have that confidence. With three runs in a playoff game is you know not a huge margin, Um, but the better team won there, of course. And then in what was a very interesting series, uh, the only one in the NL that was able to go three games, the Padres end up holding off the Cardinals, who actually took game one, seven to four. Um, in this game, you had uh, a couple, bo- or one bomb by Goldschmidt, and uh, no out of the yard for the Rays, but you had Quan Hu Kim start the game with three earned runs um, right off the bat. Uh, In the first three innings, but of course, the problem was for the Padres that Chris Paddock gave up six earned runs over two and a third. And Sam, I've on this show before expressed my admiration for Chris Paddock, who I think is a good pitcher. I have a thought on what his problem has been this year that was manifesting game one that will need to be fixed for him to be effective in the playoffs. Um, I want to know what you think first, though. Did you see anything out of him? Were you able to
1: watch that game? I wasn't watching that game. I will say one thing, one very impressive thing that the Padres did in this series was win it without either Mike Clevenger or LeMet. That's right. Who have been by far their two best pitchers this year. I mean, Clevenger, I guess, wasn't on them.
0: Right. But but are their two best pitchers Um, and they'll need them in the next round, of course. Uh, But my two cents on Chris Paddock really quickly is that he kind of came into the league um, as a no-nonsense guy, he was going to come in there, he was going to pepper the zone, had that great, great changeup, and made that 94, 95-mile-an-hour fastball work off that great changeup. But he came back year two with a little bit more confidence even and stopped, you know, peppering the corner so much and started just throwing the ball in there and saying, eat this. Well, MLB hitters can eat 95, even if you have a good changeup off of it. He stopped pitching away from contact. He started pitching to contact. His K rate fell. Um, His walk rate bounced a bit. And he just gave up so many hits this season. And it was apparent here where he gave up eight hits over two and a third. Um, So while the pods did put on another late in the game, I mean, scored in the first three innings, they fall seven to four. Game two was just an absolute slugfest and truly brilliant to watch. Um, Colton Wong homered, Paul Goldschmidt homered for the second straight game. But Fernando Tatis and Will Myers both went deep twice. Manny Machado tacked one on for good measure. Um, And in a nine-inning game where the Cardinals scored in the ninth and had the tying run at the dish, um, they end up losing this game after a four spot in the sixth, the seven spot in the third and a two spot in the eighth from the pods who, when they came into the bottom of the sixth, were down by four runs. So an absolutely gritty performance that I think kind of propelled them into game three, of course, which was the following day. Um, and here just a tremendous pitching performance by the San Diego Padres staff who started Craig Stammon in this game. So they went, yeah. they went with the opener, In the series-clinching game, and this obviously speaks to the lack of Clevenger and Lamette, but they were able to piece together a shutout with no one pitching more than an inning and two-thirds. Craig Stammen for an inning and two-thirds gave way to Tim Hill, who gave way to Pierce Johnson, Adrian Morahone, Austin Adams, Luis Petino, and then, of course, they get to the meat of their bullpen when Pagan, Pomeranz, and Rosenthal go back to back to back to close the game out. Um, But, wow, you just have to tip your cap here. Um, Cardinals pitching pitched well here this was a, a Flaherty game and he went six gave up one earned um, gave up eight eight base runners but still only one earned uh, and then they just couldn't find a way to score so the pods take that series and what I thought was just an awesome awesome series um, in the America yeah, that,
1: that was that was definitely the best series in the NL but I'm I'm glad the Padres moved on they're going to be a more fun team in the NLCS. And I think they're the better team.
0: Yeah, yeah. I agree with both those statements, but also, like, they're not the D-backs. So what are you going to do? Um, in the AL, let's start with Yankees-Indians. So the Yankees sweep this one after just blowing the Indians out game one. They got homers from Judge, Torres, and Stanton in game one. Um, game two, however, this was a Garrett Cole start, by the way. Game two, however, I guess, sorry, sorry. I hate to go back to this, but what is worth mentioning is that they absolutely ripped Shane Bieber for seven runs and four and two thirds.
1: Yeah, that, that was insane to watch. And that, um, that
0: actually goes to my paddock point, not saying that they're similar in any way, but the point is, is that especially in the playoffs, you don't get away with mistakes. I, like, I, it doesn't seem possible that there's an extra level of locked in, but in the playoffs, hitters truly are an extra level of locked in. You very, very rarely see an at bat that you're like, wow, he kind of gave that away. Everybody fights. All mistakes are punished, more or less. And it is so much harder for pitchers to get by because guys are grinding. Guys are slapping balls. Managers are tight. Like, it's a battle in the playoffs. And in this instance, Shane Bieber was basically himself. Um, you know, he maybe lacked a little bit of the sharpness on his off-speed pitches here. But for the most part, he looked okay. He just left a couple out, and they got punished.
1: Yeah, he. It definitely seemed like you know he made like one mistake, and the Yankees were all over it. And he was unlucky to have that game go like it did. Absolutely. But, you know. You know. So so it goes. Game two was an insane game. Oh yeah, this is this is a slugfest. Yeah, a back and forth slugfest where teams were taking the lead then getting tied, then falling back, then tying it again, then retaking the lead. And it ended up going to extras, right?
0: Um, It did not, actually, because the Yanks scored two in the top of the ninth. There were three, four lead changes in this game, the last of them being in the top of the ninth when the Yankees put two across, and they end up with a 10-9 win despite two fewer hits. What's noticeable here, Sam, is the two errors for the Indians. Because Delano de DeShields and Jose Ramirez both ended up booting balls, um, and neither of them necessarily cost runs to the Indians, who were attributed with 10 earned runs, but they definitely didn't help the feeling of the game. I hate saying something abstract like that, but there were just big times where they ended up getting out of the situation, but it felt like the Indians weren't rising to meet that challenge, um, while the Yankees just pressed on and on and uh, ended up putting up two on the board in the ninth to win the game
1: yeah i i agree um and i just don't get why the yankees get to be what they are
0: neither do i i mean like to that point tonight kyle higashioka has a homer and they're up by one you know like they could win this game basically because of a kyle higashioka home run and stop it you can't have the best rotation in baseball when you're fully healthy the best lineup in baseball when you're fully healthy and get unlimited production from nobody position players like they got from Urshela last year and Higoshioka tonight
1: yeah and uh yeah but let's let's move to their opponents which is which is the Rays who just had a sound series wing over the Blue Jays I feel like they were never really in trouble
0: yeah this was like the most um closest to the expected outcome of the series i think um yeah game one was only three to one but like the rays never trailed you know they were up three nothing and they gave up a uh, just kind of like a bloop in a black or a bloop, two bloops to, to the Blue Jays in the yeah. top of the eighth basically
1: not, not even a blast yeah
0: and then they just mash them eight to two in the second game scoring eight runs in the first three innings and then coasting to a win behind glass now so um I mean maybe the interesting point here is that huge in Ryu got absolutely toasted for um, seven runs over an inning and two thirds. You can say yes. only three of them were earned, which would be, you know, technically true. Um, Bo Bichette with two errors in that game, but this was just a raise game. I mean,
1: but, but uh, also earned runs are just whatever, you know. right?
0: Like runs are runs are runs to an extent.
1: You, you gave up. You gave up a batted ball. You know. Well, okay. Okay. Not-
0: okay, three true outcomes.
1: <laughs> no, it's, but it's just like whether or not your fielder like boogie the ball, or like had bad range on the grounder, or someone got jammed and they flared it into the outfield. Like, you know,
0: yeah, those things are yeah.
1: There's a, there's a lot of luck involved when the ball gets hit anyway. So whether or not that luck relates to like the error or the hit, that's like, fair. You gave up. The run.
0: Um. So here's one. The next game on our docket for the AL wild card. Astros twins and I called it folks I thought they were going to be playing the A's but I did call the first round upset by the Astros who end up sweeping the twins and here I'm not going to say the Astros didn't play well they certainly did but I think the bigger story is the twins one of the best offensive teams in baseball only eking out two runs against this Astros pitching staff which is no doubt, good, but pretty inexperienced. They beat Christian Javier Game Two in Framber, or they lost to Christian Javier Game Two and Framber Valdez Game One. Um, although Zach Granke was the starter in that game, I just I think that the Twins are to blame here. They need to score more than two runs over the course of two games if they wanted to win this series. Certainly the door was left open to them by their mediocre pitching staff limiting the Astros to seven runs in two games. Um, I think the disappointment here is that the Twins couldn't find a way to get on the board more consistently.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And I just feel so bad for them. Like, (laughs) they just lose every playoff series ever. And they went for it this year and did everything they needed to do took care of business in the regular season. And then they're just out in two games and, they're, you know, of all the teams that were hurt by this fucking stupid 16 team playoff. It was them the most. Well,
0: the, you know, you the, the, argue, Cubs,
1: the Cubs and them, but the Cubs, you know, they're not that good. Like,
0: yeah, the twins are definitely a better but, team than the Cubs.
1: Like, yeah, like, the Cubs, you know, sure, like, they were a better team than the Marlins, and I don't like seeing the Marlins here, but, you know, as far as it goes, like, all right, whatever, the Cubs lost. It's not a, it's not the end of the world. But the Twins, they're a fucking good team, and they don't deserve to have to play a three-game series against the Astros. And even if you're... Who are also...
0: Even if you're not talking about like good teams versus bad teams, those are the two series here where two teams who should not have made the playoffs end up beating a team that wins their division. And that just, in a 60-game season, you can say whatever, but in a 162-game season, that definitely ain't right. And that is still what we'll see if we keep this for a full season. So take this as um, a word of caution that that's absolutely not what we should be doing. Um, we are, we are running a little deep here, so let's run through the other wild card and then we'll preview this upcoming series. The other one was the A's and the White Sox. And here's the other interesting series. So what you saw is like pods cards was a super interesting team versus a slightly less interesting team, but like two good teams kind of going at it here. You have the White Sox and the A's in a very similar situation. They finished one game off of each other, um, with record, uh, in the regular season. And this ran three games. The first game, the White Sox were able to take 4-1 to one behind just a tremendous pitching performance from Lucas Giolito. Jesus Guzardo yeah. was okay, but I think youth and inexperience showed, giving up three runs in three and a third. Um, game two, Oakland is just pouring it on heavy. The White Sox try to come back um, late in the game but are unable to do so. This was a great game by Chris Bassett. And on the other side, Dallas Keuchel got shelled. Again, the problem with being kind of a location deception pitcher in the playoffs, that sinker, if guys are staying on it and they're just a little extra focused, is something they're either going to fight off more frequently or put hard contact on more frequently. Um, And he just blew it here. Their bullpen kept the game in touch and they were able to get a a homer by Osmani in the eighth inning to get close, but they just couldn't close the door. So um, that brings us to game three, the clincher here. And uh, this was a tough one, you know, because the White Sox here had to go with the starter. Something we're seeing more and more when the uh, Brewers did it a couple years ago against the Dodgers. Everyone lost their mind. Now we're seeing multiple teams in elimination games go with the starter. Dane Dunning, Garrett Crochet, Aaron Bummer all get the job done uh, through the first uh, two and two thirds. But then, unfortunately, the wheels come off a bit. Uh, Mike Fiers started for the A's. He gave up some runs early. Frankie Montas gave up some runs early, Um, but it just was not enough for the White Sox who could not stave off a four-run fourth uh, followed by a two-run fifth for the A's in that game. So we see the White Sox fall. I told Sam before the episode, it's a bit of a bummer because if there's three teams, um, you know, that I, or two teams in the American League that I really want to watch play, it's the A's and White Sox. Um, Obviously the Yankees are great. Um, but the A's and the White Sox were two super interesting teams. We get to see the A's now. Uh, the White Sox, unfortunately, their run has ended this year, but the future is bright in the South side. Yeah.
1: They, they have a hell of a, hell of a lineup, um, especially with Tim Anderson being legit.
0: Yeah. Which, which is a good time for me to say, I'll eat my words. Um, there's many people that I owe apologies to for doubting Tim Anderson for the second straight season. Um, He, of course, was just tremendous this season. Um, Jamie McFarlane, I'm sorry. Uh, Some other folks out there, if I forgot you, I still am sorry, even if I'm not saying it on air.
1: What what about Tim Anderson? Why don't you say, I'm sorry, Tim Anderson.
0: Here's the thing is that I don't think Tim Anderson cares about my opinion at all. And I think that's probably a good idea for him.
1: He's calling out the haters on Twitter sometimes. All right. All
0: right. Well, then I'll apologize personally to Tim Anderson. I'll give him the opportunity to come on the show. Tim, when you hear this, not if, when. um, We'd love to have you on the show. You can call me a fool and I'll eat my words because you're legit. uh, Power and batting average to boot. A little bit of speed mixed in there. Um, So feel free to come on here. But with that, Sam, let's move over to the division series preview. We've already had one game conclude. Um, in the American league. And that is the Astros A's opener. What did you see there?
1: I feel like the thing that worries me most about the A's came, came to fruition, which is the pitching. Like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, they, they obviously have a great bullpen, but like, I'm just, I'm worried about them having like enough starting pitcher to get through these series Especially when there are no off days, right. which is different than playoffs in the past where you can't use these bullpen guys every game.
0: And they they started Chris Bassett here, who's like, you know, who was great in the wild card round and who's kind of their guy right now. But he just got smacked around. He looked good for spells and then would get hit around. And it kind of all came off um, for him in the second inning. When uh, Bregman knocked one out of the yard and then Correa followed up with a bomb. Um, and the, the runs just kept coming from there, you know, and, it, uh, or sorry, that was the, that was the fourth inning for them. The A's scored early. Um, but once they hit him in the fourth, they got him again in the sixth and the seventh and in the ninth to put 10 total on. Um, and for me, Sam, it's actually not so much the depth of starting pitching where four innings, three earned and they were up. When he left the game in the fourth inning, um, that's not the problem to me. The problem is that you, smear, you know their bullpen. You smear a Petit pitched well. I'm sorry, but their bullpen um, they had to throw Jordan Weems, who ends up taking the loss here. Who is that? Why is he pitching in this series? And then their offense, Sam, they hit Jake Lamb third. Their offense isn't yeah. good.
1: Yeah, Matt Chapman going down has really, really hurt this team. And you've also seen sort of steps back from a lot of the guys who looked like breakout stars last year, including Marcus Simeon, who was third in the AL MVP voting last Mm -hmm. year, has looked not great this year. And also Matt Olson, who after a hot start, has really looked lost at the plate. Well, he was good today. Yeah, he did hit a home run today, but... Uh, you know, for the last sort of month, he's looked. He's been striking out like fifty percent of the time. It's yeah. looked terrible. So um, for me,
0: I, I agree that their starting pitching is a concern. But for me, the bigger concern, especially if they get move on from this round, is that I just really do not think that that lineup can win. I mean, I, let's assume Marcus Simeon is still good. Their lineup is still Tommy Listella. Marcus Simeon, Jake Lamb, Chad Pinder, Mark Canna, Matt Olson. Like, that's pretty bad.
1: I don't know. Like, a lot of those guys are, are like, in a good season are, you know, good, above-average Major League hitters. Like, it's not a lineup with, like, a star. But I still think it's, like, a solid, deep lineup.
0: I, yeah, I just can't get over Jake Lamb hitting third. Like, the D-backs cut him and they suck. Yeah. Um. But who do you got here, Sam? Give a prediction. You have the wealth of one-game knowledge, but let's still hear a prediction.
1: Well, I mean, with the A's, with the... Uh, I, I think this is, like, in terms of a talent level, like a somewhat even series. And I think the Astros, like, even though they haven't played well this year, are still the better team.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh. And they already have a game up, so they only have to win 50% of the next... Four games i think todd Gurley
0: rushing one in for the boys let's go todd
1: that that a boy um yeah i mean i hate to say it because i don't want to keep watching the astros move on but it's the astros are got to be the favorites in the series at this point
0: yeah i think i got to agree with you i mean i i just honestly don't between their bullpen and their lineup i i just find it you know, it's going to be hard for them. They obviously could do it, but it's going to be hard. The Astros lineup is, you know, although they haven't played great this season, you just can't question their ability to get hot and score a ton of runs. And then while their pitching is really young and kind of no name, um, I think that they can string it together. My one concern is that with their limited starting pitching, Sam, and, Dusty Baker's just literal lack of knowledge about how to use a bullpen. Um, (laughs) can they actually string it together? Um, and I'm kind of tongue-in-cheek here, but I'm also kind of serious. Like, if you're if you're gonna use bullpen games, you've got to use the right guys in the right spots, you can't just yoss them in there. Um, and so he could end up being a bit of a detriment to them. But if I had to pick, I'd also take the A's so. Let's switch our uh, vision over to the East Coast where the Yankees are playing the Rays right now. The score is four to three Yanks in the bottom of the eighth. DJ LeMahieu's just shifted to first base in a defensive substitution. Zach Britton's coming on. Here's what's happened so far um, in this game we've had bombs by Judge. As we mentioned previously, uh, we had bombs by Kyle Higashioka somehow. Um, <laughs> but On the Ray's side, we've had a bomb from G-Man Choi who coming into this game, folks, Garrett Cole started this game for the Yankees. And coming into this game, G-Man Choi was 8 for 12 lifetime against Cole with three bombs and eight RBIs. Like the only guy in baseball that hits Garrett Cole is G-Man Choi? What is that?
1: I don't know, uh, but it... At this point, it's getting almost undeniable, but as he just grounded out against Britain. So
0: right now, now, the difference um, really is a run scratched across in the third inning for the uh, Yankees, who otherwise they've matched each other. Both put up one in the first... Um, Rays put up two in the bottom of the fourth. So the Yanks put up two in the top of the fifth. The only unanswered run really has been that one run in the top of the third. So we will keep you up to date. Um, Maybe this game will end as we're wrapping up uh, this extra long episode with all of your sports information for the last couple of weeks. Um, But this is an interesting series, Sam. These are two very, very good baseball teams. What do you see and who do you have?
1: Well, I think the Rays are are going to be the favorites on nights where Garrett Cole's not pitching. Um, but I think when the Yankees can send Garrett Cole out, that they're going to be the favorites on those nights, and if they if they can well, they're going to have Cole in game five, I guess, theoretically so if this gets to a game five, they got to be the favorite. That
0: would be three days rest though. Cause they're playing back to back to back.
1: Oh, that's true. I, I think you still throw him.
0: I think you probably still throw him. He, you know, he definitely wants to go, but you're right. I mean, they're going to throw Masahiro Tanaka tomorrow. And then maybe they throw J.A. Hap the next day. I personally wouldn't. So they probably end up having a quasi bullpen day with Jordan Montgomery um, Chad Green, Debbie Garcia, Luis Sessa, Jonathan Holder, Jonathan Lewisaga all getting in there. Um, that's not a bad day, but the Rays, you're right, Sam, they do have three legit starters. They're going Snell tonight. They're going to go Glass now tomorrow. They're going to go Morton the next day. And this is not something we normally say about the Rays, but in this instance, their starting pitching is their strength.
1: I think they also have a better bullpen, if I'm being totally honest. Um, I, I know the Yankees have had, have been like the best bullpen in baseball for years now, but I, I prefer the raised bullpen, the Rays,
0: the raised bullpen. I don't know. I, I don't know how you can like ask, find an edge between these bullpens. Like the raised bullpen may be a little bit more versatile, more guys who can eat multiple innings and things like that. Um, stop throwing the ball to jamal williams um but the yankees bullpen is pretty shut out (laughs) i mean you can't really argue against adovino Britton, and chapman and then you throw in these random guys like sessa garcia chad green for an inning um This is a tough bullpen, and they've held the Rays quiet tonight. So I personally see it as kind of a wash. The Yankees obviously have a better lineup, but the Rays are a better managed ball club. I
1: I also forgot that Chaz Rowe is injured. Chaz
0: Rowe is injured. That's true. Yeah. Um, Uh, Although they have a bunch of other great guys. Like, it's not to say Chaz Rowe's injured. They're done. Um, Yeah, yeah.
1: No, of course. Uh,
0: So you take the Rays here.
1: uh, Whoever wins this game, I take them. (laughs)
0: I'll take the Yanks in five, though.
1: It's going to be a great series.
0: It's going to be a great series, and we're going to be glued to it. But we do have to flip over to the National League here. So let's talk about the Padres-Dodgers series, another interdivisional series, which makes three so far. And spoiler alert, our last one is as well for the four out of four interdivisional NLDS, something that we've never seen our lifetimes. I hope we never see it again.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, like how can you not have the Dodgers as the favorites in this series? They're the best team in baseball. Um, But I mean, it's also like not out of the question that the Padres win. That's, that's the nature of the playoffs. Uh, I think
0: the big question is Are Clevenger and Denilson Lamette going to pitch in this series.
1: I, I don't know. I don't know either.
0: And I think that without them, they really stand no chance.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't think they stand like no chance. Like I think they're probably like only going to win 25, 30% of the time, but they can still win the series.
0: Yeah, of course they can still win the series, but you know, I think with Lamette and Clevenger, if you get maybe a little bit of a bounce back game from um, Paddock You could stack up three really good starts and then you got a shot. If you can get to someone like Bueller, who's been erratic, um, or if you can get to Gonsolin or May somewhere who are young and inexperienced. Um, But yeah, the Dodgers are the best team in baseball. They have superstars on the Hill. They have superstars on the field everywhere you look. Um, I mean, this has got to be the World Series favorite right now. Uh, And I, I like them in this series as well.
1: I will say I'd like them more if they still had Kent to my
0: Certainly would like them more if they still had Kent to my I agree with that. Um, so let's go to the other series in the NL, which is, of course, the Braves versus the Marlins. I feel like we yeah. beat this subject to death. I will personally just say the Braves are the much, 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 better team. But the Marlins are hot, are pitching hot right now. And if they can keep pitching hot because pitching is as contagious as hitting is, you know, that's that's all that they really need.
1: I will say the Braves have to be really happy with what they got out of Ian Anderson in game two.
0: They, uh, yes, absolutely. Um, because but I don't that I don't know if I'm super confident he's about to do that yet.
1: Yeah, me neither. But I guess, I, you know, if you're to point to one problem with the Braves, it's that after Max Fried, their rotation's been a disaster this year. That's right. And if, if the bats go cold, it, it could be bad. So, absolutely.
0: Um, so we'll just have to see what happens there. Uh, I have the Braves in four, I think the Marlins win one pitching game of either Alcantara Lopez or Sixto Sanchez
1: yeah uh I hope the Braves win well the thing is like I hate the Braves yeah but like (laughs) but I but I still want them to win because I'm just like I'm so down on this 16 team playoffs it's just so annoying yeah
0: it's so frustrating um well okay You know, we've, we brought you through all of the sports. We're watching this, the start of the football season. We're watching the end of the basketball season. We're watching the playoff start in the baseball season. Um, This is a great time for sports folks. And I promise no more vacations for this lad. We'll be coming to you every, you know, seven days or so, so that we can keep these episodes shorter again. Um, Who knows? We might even come to you at the end of these uh, divisional rounds in five days, if that's how long they take. Um, But we're going to keep you up to date. Uh, To end the episode, we did want to take just a few minutes to talk about an all-time great who passed away a few days ago, and that, of course, is Bob Gibson. Bob Gibson, uh, a beautiful 17-year career in the MLB, all for the St. Louis Cardinals, um, a teammate of free agency champion Kurt Floyd on that Cardinals team. Um, And this is a guy who uh, persevered through a lot of kind of racial antagonizing that went on in the league at this time. And he was one of the most outspoken people about it. Um, and he came through it as truly one of the greatest pitchers of all time. Uh, I think you can say without hesitation, the famous thing about Bob Gibson, if you don't uh, know a ton of backgrounds is that he does have perhaps the single greatest pitching performance of all time. Uh, season of all time, I'm sorry, certainly by conventional metrics, where he had a 1.12 ERA, a 258 ERA plus, 177 FIP. He won the Cy Young. He won the MVP. He threw 22, I'm sorry, 34 games, and 28 of them were complete games. This man was a horse. And he just went off one season. And of course, the result of this incredible, unprecedented season was that the MLB decided to lower the mound, which I think is a pretty good compliment for how you've played.
1: And then they say they they lowered the mound, and the only guy that kept dominating was Tom (laughs) Seaver.
0: The only problem, of course, with that, Sam, is that the next season he was also really, really (laughs) good. Um, In fact, he had a better. Fangraphs war in the following season, in the two following seasons, than he did in his famous 1968 season. Baseball reference has it a little bit differently, but I, I, I talked about it just a bit previously. I do just want to highlight his complete games because he just throughout his career, through So many complete games. He had 20 in 1966, 28 in 68, 28 in 69, 23 in 70, 20 in 71, 23 in 72. I mean, that's just wild for a pitcher to be able to do that for his career. He had more than half of his games started ending as complete games. That's insane.
1: It's just incredible.
0: It's an it's incredible and you know we we are in the era now of not uh, going through the lineup the third time and I think we both agree that that's just a smart decision to make and he probably would have had even better numbers if they had you know done analysis like that then but he still after all those complete games all those innings pitched and some very down years at the end of his career still ended with a 2.91 career ERA um, this is a man who just absolutely dominated throughout his career. So, um, you know, condolences to his family and loved ones. Uh, but he will always be remembered by the baseball community as one of the all-time greats.
1: Yeah, totally agree. Like you could argue he's on the like pitchers Mount Rushmore. Or something.
0: Definitely. Um, definitely. I think if you had to make a pitchers Mount Rushmore, it'd be a tough, decision especially when you consider some all-time legends like old hoss radburn who uh you know may get a feature in a future episode um you want to talk about a complete game machine i mean that guy but yes i would say that bob gibson probably makes my uh my pitcher mount rushmore so with that little preview of what we might show you in the future because i love that idea sam (laughs) um we are going to leave you on a uh, particularly long, but hopefully very informative episode that we have just recorded here. We did some NFL talk. We did some NBA playoff talk. We did some MLB playoff talk. um, And we'll be back to you in just a few days to wrap up uh, this next round of the MLB playoffs. Uh, So anything to add before we sign off, Sam, anything you want to shout out? Anyone you want to shout out?
1: No, I think that's it. Well, I will will note that... uh... We did get one listener email since our last episode um, where they actually pointed out an error made by Aaron. Thank you. In, we need
0: more of this because I'm just constantly okay. making errors, folks. Uh,
1: and it was said that the Aaron made a comment that a certain woman was the first uh, female uh, organist uh in the MLB at, at some point in like 1960-something, 70-something. But we were informed by a listener that- A dedicated
0: fa- listener, we should add.
1: Yeah, a dedicated listener that, in fact, I think the the Mets organist in 1963, I forget her name, was, was actually the
0: first. Um, so my apologies. Please continue writing in, telling us how uh, ill-informed and bad at our jobs I am. Um, We love to hear your comments. Uh, And with that, signing off for the Alonzo bet. We're your hosts. I'm Aaron.
1: And I'm Sam. Have a good week, folks.